Not sure if we're going to see riots in North Carolina. And it's not because Donald Trump is set to speak there. We're talking about the story of Andrew Brown, who was shot in his car by police. And that body cam footage is, I guess, is it, is it now out? Calling it uh, tragic but justified is is how it's being described. No law enforcement will be uh, criminally charged in the case. So I'm actually watching the video now, and these guys are armed up, and there he is in his car backing up over cops, and he's running his car at police officers. And that's when he got shot, it seems. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. I mean, this is... I, I, I would share the, the, the audio, but I haven't had a chance, or the video, I haven't had a chance to uh, um, to do any editing on it yet, so I don't know if there's any foul language or anything else. Uh, sorry uh, about that. This happened in North Carolina. Police are called. Uh, there's a stop. And next thing you know, he won't listen to commands. He backs up into cars. He drives towards officers. That's when the shot was fired. And as, of course, the story was told, As the story was told, what you had was, why did police shoot a man in the back of the head while his hands were on the wheel? And when you first heard that, you're like, whoa, 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 what happened? Now I'm watching, I am watching this, right? So it's like a pickup truck with these officers, and you're watching it from some officer's body camera. And they're they're well armed. One, two, three. Was it four of them? Five of them? So I guess the police were dealing with with this vehicle. I it's it's the way I see this. Um, backup was was clearly called. And then what you see next is this guy back up, and they're surrounded by a, a series of officers, and he. Sends his car towards an officer and then turns. There are a couple officers in the area. So I want to be clear, he never runs an officer over. But the idea that the lawyers for the family say that he didn't drive towards deputies or pose a threat to them is absolutely untrue based on the 30 seconds of footage I just saw. You're surrounded by officers with weapons out. And you're being told to get out of the car. You don't. You back the car up, and then you drive the car forward. And all of a sudden, the cop is the problem? Oh, no, 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 no. That's not going to work. That's that's not going to fly. Now, Ben Crump is the lawyer. He was the lawyer there in in, in the case of, of George Floyd. So back in April, he was calling for the release of this uh, body cam footage. Right? He was calling for the... Is this really what you want to see the, the release of? Now, I do have questions... I want to know 
what was if if this guy was driving away how did all those other cops get there like give me the full timeline of how the whole thing kind of played out but the video that is now released on this body cam footage would explain well why an officer may have opened fire i say to you as clear as day that if we are not going to be honest about these things and discuss um, what's happening and discuss the fact that if you decide that all cops are bastards, right? When you see ACAB, that's what they mean. All cops are terrible. All cops are racist. All cops are bigots. You don't have to listen to a cop. All cops are there to hurt you. And then on the other side, you tell the cop, if you don't do everything absolutely perfectly, you're going to jail. As a matter of fact, you might go to jail anyway. You're going to have people not listening to police officers. This is what Black Lives Matter puts together. That's, of course, when Black Lives Matter isn't standing in solidarity with Palestinians. This is their new tweet. Black Lives Matter stands in solidarity with Palestinians. We are a movement committed to ended settler colonialism in all forms and will continue to advocate for Palestinian liberation. Always have and always will be. Hashtag free Palestine. So you support Hamas, a terrorist organization. That sounds about right. People who support Black Lives Matter are simply wrong. And you support bigotry and hate. Maybe it's time you grow up and figure out another way to do these things. Ooh, Tony, are you in a mood? Not necessarily. I wouldn't say that I'm in a mood. What I am is interested in being direct, clear, so we all understand each other, and then we can agree or disagree on the points. You're not standing with the idea of Israel's existence. You're calling it settler colonialism, and you advocate for Palestinian liberation. That's saying Israel shouldn't exist, and my answer is kiss my butt. (laughs) You think that you think I have to treat you well? I have to treat that kindly? Or I or or maybe it's better. It's not even a question of how I treat you. It's that I notice that you favor a terrorist organization. And uh, by the way, the 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 low fruit, low hanging fruit line is takes one to no one. Just so we all understand each other. It takes one to no one. You're supporting terrorists I think that's pretty disgusting Black Lives Matter and questions should be asked to those people who still endorse and support Black Lives Matter as for what happened here in North Carolina you create a situation by which you tell people don't trust the cops don't listen to the cops you don't have to listen to the cops and if the cop does anything wrong you sue the cop you attack the cop you end up with a couple million bucks isn't isn't that the plan isn't isn't, isn't that the desire when George Floyd's family got what 24 million dollars before a trial even begins you're saying something right there You're, you're saying something about police right there and then. Now, we should not stand in the way or, 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 or somehow stand against when cops who do the wrong thing are prosecuted. Cops who do the wrong thing should be prosecuted. There are times for settlements. There are times to admit wrongdoing. I wholeheartedly agree. 
But if you teach an entire society, you don't have to listen to police. And then you say to police, we will change the rules and change the leadership to find you guilty at all times. What kind of society do you think you're going to have? How does that work? What value could possibly come from this? I think it's an acceptable thing to ask. I think it's a very, very acceptable thing to ask. This North Carolina story, however, is going to become a big one. I think this North Carolina story might become a doozy. As for people standing, you know, with with terrorist organizations, I mean, that's just par for the course. Here is a tweet from someone named Emma uh, Vigeland, V-I-G-E-L-A-N-D. She works for uh, NBC Peacock. Peacock is the... um, Streaming uh, part of it, right? It's the Peacock Network. She used to be uh, a member of the Young Turks. Young Turks, how would I describe them? They were really the first online outfit to go big. Politically left and go big. Right? She tweeted out, Hamas is no more of a terrorist organization than the Israeli or U.S. governments. If killing civilians is the criteria and the targeting of an ethnic group buttresses the claim, the US Israel, then U.S. Israel meet the same standard. Colonial anti-brown violence is given legitimacy based on power. Now, if you needed any more proof of what I'm saying, well, then there it is. First, check out the moral equivalency. Hamas isn't a terrorist agency, a terrorist organization, because if they are, Israel and U.S. Are, the, are a terrorist organization. And it's all about the government targeting others. In the case of the situation in New York, I mean, I'm sorry, North Carolina, he was targeting cops. Andrew Brown, based on the video, the, 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 the body cam video, is targeting cops. Hamas is targeting uh, uh, individuals, citizens, private citizens, not only in Israel, but remember, they kill Palestinians who get in the way, Palestinians who don't want this life. Right? One man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. That's, that's the argument, except sometimes a terrorist is a terrorist is a terrorist. And this is seen as as intellectual. This tweet, before it got deleted, had 1,200 likes. Do you know how much bigotry that is? That's the same amount of bigotry in Black Lives Matter standing in solidarity with Palestinians. No, no, take that back. With Hamas. Because uh, they've been taught this is the right thing to do. Everybody else is the oppressor and the terrorist is the good guy. That's just, that is just a whole bunch of evil. Now, there's a stranger story out there, the story of the guy who commands Space Command and how he got relieved of duty, relieved of his command for talking about Marxism. But maybe the story isn't as was told. That's coming up. I'm Tony Katz. So I mentioned it, but I forgot to get into it. Uh, Donald Trump is speaking at the North Carolina Republican Party 2021 convention dinner in June. That uh, 
Should be interesting. I think, it's, is that the first one of those that he's done? I think it is. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Always great to be with you guys. I think that is the first one of those that he's done. I mean, he's done some other talks, but we should. Um, I don't know if it's going to be televised or whatever it is, but I'm assuming tickets are going to be sold out. Right? Um, Ted Budd is going to be there's a congressman. He's running for the Senate seat occupied by Richard Burr. Hmm. That's one to watch. Now there's the story on Marxism. Follow the story. It is very, very interesting. So the guy who heads up Space Force, he actually heads up a Space Force unit that detects ballistic missile launches. His name is Lieutenant Colonel Matt Loheimer. Lohmeyer, sorry, Lohmeyer. He was relieved of command because during a podcast... He discussed Marxist ideologies becoming prevalent in the U.S. military. A description of a book that I guess he wrote. Irresistible Revolution. Marxism's goal of conquest in the unmaking of the American military. And the description reads that Irresistible Revolution is a timely and bold contribution from an active duty Space Force Lieutenant Colonel who sees the impact of a neo-Marxist agenda at the ground level within our armed forces. And the military is like, yeah, you can't do this. We are not going to, you know, we're not going to do this. He actually said of Secretary Lloyd Austin, right, the defense secretary, I don't demonize the man, but I want to make it clear to both him and every service member that this diversity and inclusion agenda, it will divide us. It will not unify us. If you tell me, well, you're not allowed to have those conversations while you wear the uniform and you're out, I'm, I'm fine with this. I want the chain of command to be respected. Right? I want, I want the military having this cohesion. So the story was he was relieved of command. This brings us to a story saying that it's totally being misportrayed regarding comments made about Marxism. He tells Fox News he still retains his rank, but it was reassigned within the Space Force. He says, I don't believe I was being partisan. It was not politically partisan to expose or attack critical race theory or Marxism. The reason I say that is because critical race theory and Marxism are antithetical to American values. Critical race theory fuels, the, fuels narratives that attack Americans' founding documents. And he says in that regard, he's not attacking a political party. I'm being misportrayed online. I don't criticize any leader or any person in the DOD or any elected officials. But I try to tee up ideas that I think are toxic. Um, hmm. He says, we owe it to the oath we took and to the American people to stand up against extremist ideologies. That's a memo. That's from a memo from Secretary Lloyd Austin. So he says, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to be politically partisan. I'm trying to stand up against extremist ideologies. So his argument is, I don't know why you're all mad at me. I listened to what the Secretary of Defense said, and I'm following suit. That's an interesting take. Uh, I, 
I have, uh, both in, in conversations with, with former military people and, and on my own, discussed what I view as, as the issues within the military, and that is a, a total lack of remembering the job. When the U.S. Army comes out with um, a recruitment video that involves a same-sex marriage, I say to you, the U.S. Army is failing and failing miserably and is interested in something other than what I see as the goal, which is killing people and breaking things. Now, it could be said nicer than that. The military's job is to destroy the enemy and then do what is next. I am not a believer in counterinsurgency. I'm not a believer in pinpoint warfare. I'm a believer in destroying the churches, the mosques, and the synagogues. If I'm at war, which is something that we should not do lightly, if the decision is made to go to war, I believe in absolutely destroying the enemy until the enemy is dead. Until they beg you to stop and then keep going for another month. I would rather not go to war at all. If I am going to war, the only answer, based on just the clearest understanding of engagement, the clearest understandings I have of how to engage a victory in the shortest time frame possible, thus having the shortest loss of our lives, is to just destroy the enemy until there's nothing left. This is my assessment. Today's military does not agree with me. And I find that problematic. I do find myself in the position of saying that if I was in leadership, replacing generals would happen. The idea that the military can't be welcoming is different than the military losing sight of its goal. And that's why if you tell me that Lieutenant Colonel Lohmeyer violated uh, rules when he was doing this podcast or writing a book or speaking out, then okay, you deal with the punishment. I have zero issue with that at all. But critical race theory and Marxism are antithetical to American values. And of course we should say so. They do attack America's founding documents. They lie. Of course we should fight them. And just in the same way, we should destroy them so these things never come back to the very best of our ability. Go to TonyCats.com, get the podcast, and support the show. TonyCats.com, people. Head there now. Nine nothing. The Supreme Court goes 9-0 in supporting gun rights, in supporting the idea that your rights can't be just taken away from you. Tony Katz, great to be with you, Tony Katz, today. Facebook Tony Katz Radio, the phone number 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. Cam Edwards joins us right now. Uh, he is uh, the editor at BearingArms.com. He's been following what's going on here. You know, seeing the court take on Second Amendment cases is always strange. They haven't been willing to do so. There's a conversation about whether this case really kind of pushes them in that direction, but this has to do with police in Rhode Island and taking away, confiscating guns from somebody without having any other cause to do so. Break down what happened here. Absolutely. So yeah, this is a case called Coniglia versus Strom. Edward Coniglia 
uh, who lives in Cranston, Rhode Island, got into an argument with his wife, and he was a little hyperbolic. At one point, he got a handgun out, and he slammed it down on the kitchen table and said, why don't you just shoot me already? Uh, his wife decided to leave the house instead, and uh, she called home the next yeah. morning to talk to him. He wasn't there, or he didn't answer the phone, so she didn't call police and said, hey, can you do a, a welfare check? Uh, they showed up. She was there as well. Edward Canigli was out on the front porch. He talked to the officers. Officer said, you know, look, we want to take you into the hospital. Just have you evaluated. Your wife's worried you might kill yourself. He said, all right, look, I'll volunteer to go. I'll volunteer as long as you don't take my guns. And the police said, absolutely. So Edward Canigli went to the hospital, and then the police went into his house, and they took his guns. Well, the doctors determined that Edward Canigli was not a threat to himself or others. He was, you know, released after a few hours. But his guns remained seized by the Cranston Rhode Island Police Department, and they would not give them back. So he sued, uh, alleging that his Fourth Amendment rights had been violated by this warrantless search of his home and the seizure of his firearms. And as you point out, uh, on Monday, in a 9 nothing ruling, the Supreme Court, yeah, they affirmed that Edward Canigli was right. His Fourth Amendment rights were violated by this warrantless search and seizure of firearms in his home. Uh, this case hinges around something called the community caretaking exception, uh, which allows police to, you know, they might be able to, uh, to to look through your car, for instance, if uh, you're stopped on the side of the road uh, and maybe your car is disabled. Uh, they might be able to, you know, look through your trunk uh, for a, a tire jack or something like that. And if they discover drugs or they discover guns, um, then that might be uh, that, that might be OK under the law. But the Supreme Court said, look, a car is far different from your home. Uh, and this community caretaking exception does not apply. When, when police go into your home without a warrant and they take firearms, no crime has been committed, there's no evidence of any crime, and they still take your guns, your constitutional rights have been infringed. Now, uh, wait, let's a take a step back. A 9 nothing unanimous decision from the court. Let's take a step back, because this idea of this community caretaking is pretty interesting, because one of the questions asked is, well, how in the world does this thing even get to the Supreme Court? How, how many people said, yeah, you could just keep somebody's gun ad infinitum? And the answer is a district court and the first district court of appeals that used this, as you describe it, this decision on Katie versus Dombrowski, this community caretaking exception to do so. And what it smacks of, Cam Edwards, is, hey, we really want to keep guns out of people's hands, and we figure we could just throw enough legal uh, at you to make you disappear and lose your rights. That's right. And not only did a U.S. district judge uh, uh, decide that, not only did the First Circuit Court of Appeals decide that, but the Biden administration weighed in uh, in support of the First Circuit Court of Appeals. They weighed in against Mr. Coniglia, and they, too, the Department of Justice under Merrick Garland said, yeah, police should be able to go into your home uh, and take your guns uh, because, you know, there, there, there might be a possibility that, uh, that you could do harm uh, with those firearms. And that shows, I think, the anti-gun extremism, as well as perhaps the uh, you know, lack of uh, uh, consideration for our Fourth Amendment rights as well, that we see from this uh, you know, extraordinarily uh, off-base administration. 
talking to Cam Edwards of BearingArms.com. Uh, remember, we're discussing Second Amendment, right? The, the right to keep mm-hmm. bare arms shall not be infringed. But this is a Fourth Amendment case has a much bigger application than just the idea of firearms. The Fourth Amendment is about unlawful search and seizure. You know, we may not look at the Third Amendment anymore, which is about quartering uh, soldiers in one's home, but it was a big deal then. Search and seizure is still a big deal today. So this is much more, Cam, than just a Second Amendment victory. Oh, it absolutely is. I mean, this, this really does, I think, um, you know, ensure that, that our Fourth Amendment rights uh, are not going to be violated in this fashion going forward. But I will say when it comes to the Second Amendment, Tony, it, it is, I think, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's good to see that even the liberal wing of the court uh, treated the right to keep and bear arms as a real right and not as some second-class right. We didn't see Justice Breyer or Justice Sotomayor come out with a dissenting opinion arguing, well, but look, yeah, people's Fourth Amendment rights, you know, yeah, th- those are important, but, um, you know, guns are even more important, and the police should have the power uh, to take guns away from people that they believe might pose a threat to themselves or others, even if they don't have a warrant to do so. I, I didn't expect a 9 nothing decision. I was hopeful that the court would rule in favor of Edward Coniglia, but I, I didn't imagine that this was going to be unanimous 9 nothing. Now, this brings us to something you wrote, and I wanted to get, I have my thoughts on it. I'll, I'll share those later. I wanted to get to your thoughts. You shared a part of, uh, right, so the, the, the response was written by uh, Clarence Thomas, right? The opinion was written mm-hmm. by Clarence Thomas, but a, a series of other justices wrote their own thoughts, right? And sometimes you have uh, uh, concurrent opinions or sending, uh, you have all sorts of things, but they, they all agreed on, on the basics here. But Samuel Alito wrote something, and you shared this. He wrote, this case also implicates another body of law that petitioner glossed over, the so-called red flag laws that some states are now enacting. These laws enable the police to seize guns pursuant to a court order to prevent their use for suicide or the infliction of harm on innocent persons. They typically specify the standard that must be met and the procedures that must be followed before firearms may be seized. Provisions of red flag laws may be challenged under the Fourth Amendment, and those cases may come before us. Our decision today does not address those issues. And you asked the question, what can you read into Justice Samuel Alito's comments? As you see it, what do you read into those comments right there? Well, I think it's interesting that Justice Alito brought this up, given that red flag laws were not an issue here, right? Uh, and he talks about the standards that there, you know, there are standards that are used. That makes me maybe a little cautious that uh, Justice Alito uh, would would view these red flag laws differently, would give them a little more deference uh, than a warrantless, you know, seizure of firearms in the home. But when a red flag case comes before the Supreme Court, if one does, then the issue is not going to be whether or not there are standards, whether or not, uh, you know, a, a judge has a hearing. The issue is going to be what those standards are. And under red flag laws in virtually every state, it is a very low legal standard, uh, you know, basically a preponderance of the evidence, right? If a judge believes there's a 51 percent chance that somebody poses a threat to themselves or others, they can sign off on these red flag orders. They can seize these firearms. Uh, and depending on what state you live in, you know, maybe in a couple of weeks, you get the opportunity to actually appear in court yourself and argue in your defense. Um, in other states, you might not. 
get that opportunity to do so for uh, for longer than a couple of weeks. So I think it's interesting that, that Alito brings up the red flags. Um, I, 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 you know, honestly, I don't know if that's a a good sign or a bad sign, but it's uh, it's worth noting that 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 is at least on the radar of one of these Supreme Court justices. Do you expect this court to start taking more Second Amendment cases? Because they have been reticent. The court has been reticent to mm-hmm. take those cases. Uh, you know, I certainly hope so. I mean, we've got the New York uh, right to carry case that the court did accept. Uh, there's another case uh, called Young versus Hawaii that that is an awful decision out of the Ninth Circuit, where the Ninth Circuit is basically declared the Second Amendment doesn't protect the right to bear arms at all. Uh, that case has now been filed with the Supreme Court. State of Hawaii has, I believe, about three more weeks to file their response, uh, and then the justices will consider that in conference. I'm really curious to see if they will accept that case, maybe fold it into the New York case, because that decision from the Ninth Circuit was so awful, Tony. I mean, they basically said that Hawaiian law from the 1800s trumps the U.S. Constitution and our Bill of Rights. And I I, I can't believe that the Supreme Court is just going to let that one go. Uh, but there's also a case out of New Jersey challenging that state's magazine ban that the court will have the opportunity to consider in the very near future. So the, the court's going to have the opportunity uh, to take some of these cases. And, you know, it's the expectation of a lot of gun owners that with Amy Coney Barrett on the bench, uh, it's a new day, and that reticence to uh, to deal with the you know the right to keep and bear arms should disappear. Um, we haven't necessarily seen that. There have been a number of cases that I think Justice Barrett should be interested in dealing with you know felons who are trying to have their rights restored. The the court has bypassed all of those cases so far this year, but uh, but the options are there if the court wants to take them, and I hope that they do. Cam Edwards of BearingArms.com. Follow him on Twitter, Cam Edwards, E-D-W-A-R-D-S. Cam Edwards, always a pleasure. We've got more. I'm Tony Katz. You know, it's almost on cue that you hear people talking about Roe versus Wade and how the Supreme Court is going to take this case. It's about Mississippi having a a law that says you can't get an abortion 15 weeks uh, into a pregnancy. And uh, this is going to the Supreme Court. And this could lead to the rollback of, of Roe versus Wade. Tony Katz, great to be with you. Tony Katz today. And people think, well, this you won't be able to get an abortion. That's not what it means. That's not that's not how any of this works. Roe versus Wade is about codifying it on a federal level. States could still allow abortion because Roe versus Wade. And the problem with it is that it's the usurpation of states' rights. It shouldn't it shouldn't be allowed. But that doesn't stop the woke from doing ridiculous things, saying ridiculous things, like Joy Reid over at MSNBC. Spring of 2022 will be a seminal moment in America for women's reproductive rights because it looks like the Supreme Court is primed to diminish the protections afforded under Roe v. Wade. Today, the Supreme Court agreed to hear Mississippi's appeal of a lower court ruling that struck down a ban on most abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. Can we just stop for a second and listen to that idea of reproductive rights? Abortion is not a reproductive right. Uh, Let me say it again. Quote me. Abortion is not a reproductive right because you're not reproducing. Abortion is a killing right. Just so we understand each other, that's what it is. Just are all on the same page. Great. It's a terrifying prospect, eerily reminiscent of The Handmaid's Tale, where far-right-wing religious extremists took up arms against America to carve out their own country out of ours. 
you have no idea how ignorant Joy Reid is, and she's proud of herself. And they put this on TV every single day. And you know what the kicker is? I mean, she's comparing it to, to the Hulu show Handmaid's Tale. She's, it, it, the, the idea that we have women enslaved and the ones who can reproduce, we, we, we forcibly are, are, are we're forcing ourselves upon them in order to make babies as if that's what's happening in this conversation. That's the way she phrases it for her audience. And you know the worst part? You know what the worst part is, producer Ari? She makes more money than I do. That's right. She lies for a living through her teeth. And she makes more money than I do. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Oh, that makes me sick. Makes me sick. Marco Rubio is getting a challenger for the 2022 Senate race. And this one's good. Val Demings is running for Senate. This is going to be a race. Now, she still has a primary to get through as a Democrat, right? She's got people uh, to, to beat. But she was thinking of running for governor. She was thinking of running for senator. Remember, she was on the short list for VP. She's the former chief of police in Orlando. She has a story to tell. And she is running for Senate. The argument is they took a look at popularity and they said you would have a a better chance um, against Rubio than you would against DeSantis. And that's the place to go. And by the way, we should argue it's still a long shot. Uh, Rubio is popular. Rubio has come around greatly uh, for, for Floridians after losing uh, the uh, the run for president in 2016 in his own state. Right. He, he, I mean, remember, he wasn't going to run, and they decided, okay, I'll get back to the Senate race, and he won the, and he won the seat. I think he's going to get Trump support on, on that one. I don't think Florida is a place Democrats really want to touch right now. But if you're Val Demings, it doesn't hurt you. It, it, it helps you. It elevates you. Running for office does, when you do it right, have the opportunity to elevate you. Especially if you're in a district that you know you can also hand off to somebody else in in the party. Even if you lose, you get the spot on CNN. And you get to raise issues and people get to rally around you and use you as a cause, etc. And you might help other races. Maybe not even in Florida. Look, if you don't think Democrats are already... I think it's too early for us to talk about 2022 or certainly 2024. But if you don't think Democrats are already trying to figure out, okay, we have this super thin majority in the House. We can't lose this one. We got to do this over here. We got to put the money in there. Okay, what Senate seats can we pick up? Of course they are. Of course they are. And sometimes you run because, well, you got to run. You got to run somebody. You can't just make it nobody. Val Demings is a name. Val Demings is going to do well. Val Demings has a lot of opportunity. Now, her problem is she was the police chief in Orlando. So now people are going to come out and say, why as a black woman were you allowing these kinds of policies in Orlando? Why are you a traitor to your people? You don't think that's going to come? Wait, we play some bets? We play some bets, producer Ari? I'm sticking out of this one. Oh, oh, come on. Let's put it all on 23 Rouge and spin the wheel. Because that's coming. You know it's coming. I know it's coming. It's coming. Can you imagine? She was the chief of police 
and she ha- and she's going to be held to a lower to 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 a standard and they're going to look at her with a diminished look because of it. They're going to look think less of her because of it. I mean that's just absolutely unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. That's going to be a good race. And we'll start hearing about more of these these challenges and everything else are going to start coming out in increased measure. The latest on what's going on in Israel, you've got Democrats calling for a ceasefire. You have a Republican calling for a ceasefire. And then you've got the Los Angeles Times praising the Intifada. Don't you understand that they want Israel off the map? The bigotry is never ending. And we've allowed it to happen. This is Tony Katz today.